Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to John chapter 16. Ready to pray? Let's get her done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have the ability to talk to you so freely like this. That there's an instant connection with heaven from earth into your ears from our mouths. It staggers us that the God of eternity would take the time to listen. But you do. You can. You love it. Lord, with the cool evenings of late, I've been thinking of what it was in the very beginning in the garden when God walked with His creation in the cool of the day. Thank You for walking with us every day this week and bringing us to this point as we inaugurate and celebrate another week on this, the Lord's Day. We commit our week, our lives, our experiences, our hopes, our dreams, our failures. It's committed to you, Lord, once again. They're all safe in your hands. We anticipate that your Spirit would speak to us and as an act of our worship, We sit and we listen and we give you in your spirit through the word of God the focus of our attention. In Jesus' name, amen. If you ever make it to Jerusalem, you will notice something that is practiced there. It's a centuries-old tradition. That is to go down to what's been called the Wailing Wall. It's really the western wall of the temple enclosure where people go and they write little prayers on pieces of paper and they stuff them in the cracks of the western wall. And so you'll see uh, an entire wall with as far as a person can reach little pieces of paper that are stuffed in the cracks. That practice has a new twist to it. You can now write on your computer your prayer, email it to Jerusalem, and there's an outfit who will print it out and put it in the wall for you. You can even tweet your prayers. Get this. You can use Twitter. It has to be 140 characters or less. And they'll also print it out and put it in the wall. I even found an iPhone app that will put you in touch directly with Jerusalem. It's called Send a Prayer or the Kotel, which is the wall in Hebrew. And they will put that prayer in the wall. I I loaded it on my iPhone. I could have brought it to show you. But here's the, here's the marketing tagline. It says, the only iPhone app that gets you directly in touch with God. <laughs> Hard to beat that as a tagline, right? Well, we really don't need to email our prayers to Jerusalem. We don't need to tweet them across the world. We don't even need to write them down and stuff them in any wall anywhere. What we do need is honest real, heartfelt communication 
between earth, our lives, and heaven. We need that. We need not as much email as we need knee-mail. That's what the name of this message is called, how to send knee-mail. I did a little bit of a research this week about email. Guess how many emails are sent on an average day on earth? How many emails do you think go out? 294 billion emails per day are generated. That's 2.8 million per second. That's 90 trillion per year. The average American will spend 49 minutes per day managing his or her email. I just want you to think about that statistic. The average American will spend 49 minutes per day managing his or her email. Do you think the average American Christian spends 49 minutes per day managing his or her knee mail? Do we pray that much every day? No, here's the stats. Sadly, the average American Christian will spend three, maybe four minutes per day in prayer. That's on a good day, by the way. Between 15 to 30 minutes a week compared to 49 minutes a day with email. Now, I'm not saying that so you'll feel really guilty. And I'm not saying that so you just start spouting a lot of stuff into the ears of God. But I am saying that, and my aim is that we would see what Jesus says about it, and we would be raised to a whole new level of life, as he describes it. Let's go to John chapter 16, and let's begin in verse 23. It's been an ongoing message that our Lord has been giving to his disciples on this final night before his arrest. In verse 23, Jesus speaks, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Whenever you mention prayer, there are some typical reactions that people have. Number one is guilt. I mentioned that. People feel guilty that they don't pray more than they pray. Let's just face that. We all wish we had a more dynamic prayer life. A second reaction people have is fear. Oddly enough, fear. And that's typically the fear of having to pray, especially in public, with somebody else listening to me. Because the fear is my prayer might not sound as cool as their prayer. There's another response, however. When you mention prayer, some people automatically think of the word boring. And and perhaps that's because they just really haven't seen much results in terms of prayer in their lives, or the whole activity doesn't sound very fun to them, so they think boring. It's my contention that prayer is not boring, but that we're boring in prayer. 
that in prayer we often just sort of slide into commonly used phrases that we use over and over again so that our prayers honestly sound like a rerun rather than a spontaneous expression in the ears of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever listened to a brand new Christian pray, but if you haven't, go find one and try that. It'll spice up your prayer life. I will never forget being in New York at a retreat I was asked to speak at, and uh, I was speaking to a young man. He was a metal worker, an iron worker from Manhattan. Thick accent, thick New York accent. He worked on those high-rise buildings as a welder. And so we talked, and, and I said, let's pray. I prayed, and I said, why don't you pray? And he goes, I don't know how to pray. I go, just try it. Just talk to God. Go ahead. <laughs> Here is his prayer. Yo, God, uh, I really need your help here, Lord. And he just sort of went on like that. And I thought, yeah, now that was cool. That was so refreshing. Because this guy, like a lot of new believers, haven't learned how to do it yet. They don't know Christianese yet. They haven't had all the baggage that a lot of us have over the years. One author writes this, I dare you to pray without using words like bless or lead, guide, and direct or help so-and-so or thy will or each and every or any number of those institutionalized, galvanized terms. I dare you. In this paragraph, John chapter 16, Jesus speaks about talking to the Father, asking the Father, praying to God. Now, He's already done that in chapter 14. It's very similar. It's the same night. It's the same message. Why does He repeat Himself a little bit? It's a little bit more unfolding and a little bit more dynamic and there's more details. But why does Jesus do it twice in the same night? I think it's because He knows human nature, number one. We need frequent reminders of this stuff. But number two... Everything's about to change for these disciples. Everything. They're going to wake up the next day and Jesus will not be with them again. He will have been arrested. They're going to need a new relationship, a new dynamic with their Father in heaven. So let me give you, based on this paragraph, four dynamics of sending effective email. Number one, be confident. Be confident. When you pray to God... As a child of God, you can be confident. There's a word that is repeated five times in our text. It's the word ask. Here's Jesus inviting his disciples five times to ask. The word ask means to inquire about something or to request something from a superior. Now that's where we spend the bulk of our prayer life, our prayer experience, our three to four minutes a day, I would venture to say that we spend the majority of it asking God for stuff. And what, what's beautiful to me is Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples. He doesn't say, you guys are always asking for stuff. You're so selfish. No, he says, come on, man, ask, do this. George Mueller used to say, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but rather laying hold of God's willingness. 
Never think that prayer is like forcing your way into God's presence and prying something from His hand. He's the one who made the first call and says, Come, ask. Further, notice He says, Ask the Father. You disciples don't have to go through me anymore. You go directly to the Father in my name. Now, let me give you some background that I think will be helpful. There was a Jewish tradition long ago where they believed that a pious teacher or rabbi like Jesus was could ask God for things and he would get them more than anybody else. That God would listen to that person more than he would listen to anybody else. But what Jesus is teaching them is they have direct access. He's saying, guys, I don't want you to picture God the Father up in heaven with his arms folded saying, I'm busy. I'm listening to Billy Graham, okay? I don't have time for this. There's really important people for me to listen to. Go through my secretary if you want an audience with me. But rather, you have direct access. Be confident. In verse 23, he says, And in that day you will ask me nothing. What does he mean by that? That's pretty simple. All these years you've been asking me everything. I've been with you every day. You'd wake up in the morning, you'd ask me a question. Go to bed at night, you'd ask me a question. That's going to change. I'm leaving. I'm ascending to the Father. I won't be physically with you any longer. In that day, you won't ask me for anything. You go directly to the Father. Just as you have asked from me and come to me, you now can go directly to your Father. You have access. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Access. Because in the ancient world, accessibility of mankind to deity was unheard of. Let's go to the secular realm for a moment. The Greeks believed in many gods and goddesses, as you know. They had a a belief system where there were the gods in a realm and then mankind on the earth. It was their belief system that the gods were either jealous of man, hostile toward man, or indifferent of man altogether. There's even an old story in Greek mythology that has a god named Prometheus taking pity on mankind and giving them the gift of fire because he was generous. And when Zeus found out that Prometheus had dared to stoop to the level of helping mankind, Zeus commanded that Prometheus be taken to a rock in the Adriatic Sea, bound by chains, and commanded vultures to tear out his liver. So the idea in the mind of the Greeks that the gods had any kind of communication with man at all was unheard of. Even in Judaism, there wasn't access. You had to go through a priest. You couldn't run into the temple. There was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies where God hung out and the rest of the temple. There were walls and courtyards. In fact, there was a wall in the temple that said, Death to any Gentile past this point. So when Jesus died on the cross and tore the veil of the temple, in effect saying, you now have access. You can come as you are. What happened on the cross in the tearing of the veil is exactly what Jesus is saying in his words. Come directly to God. Go directly to the Father. 
I grew up with a belief system, unfortunately, that taught that God was rather harsh, bent on justice, and not too compassionate, so that if you wanted to ask God for something, you really couldn't go directly to God. You had to go through some other saint or Mary, his mother. After all, who would refuse his own mother? That's what was told me. That's the very opposite of what we're told here. In fact, the writer of Hebrews so understood this concept, this is what he said, Therefore let us come boldly before His throne of grace that we may receive grace to help in time of need. He didn't say come timidly or come shyly or come fearfully, but come boldly. Some people think, though, well, God is so busy and I don't want to bother Him. He's listening to important people like Billy Graham and, and the Pope or the pastor. I love how Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to talk about prayer as being a bell. Remember those old bell towers, the bells up top and the rope is down below and the people would ring the time or announce the church was about to start? Spurgeon said this, Prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so languidly. You've met people like that. Oh God, we come before you, bro. Why bother? Others give only an occasional jerk on the rope. You know that type. Only in an emergency. God help. He continues. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope and boldly pulls continuously with all of his might. Get the picture? Ding, 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 ding. Come boldly. So that's the first dynamic. Be confident. Let me give you the second dynamic. Be intelligent. Engage the mind. Use the wisdom that God gives you. Look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Stop right there. Do you remember last week's study? It's all in in one chapter, but we're breaking it up. So I just want to remind you. Jesus says, you see me now. Later on, you won't see me, and then you'll see me again because I go to the Father. And they go, oh, we don't get what he just said. What do you mean? Now you see me, now you don't? You'll be sad, and then you'll be happy? We have no idea what he's saying. Jesus addresses that. I'm speaking to you in figurative language. The time is coming. That's not going to happen. Look at the next verse, verse 26. In that day... You will ask in my name, and I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came forth from God. Now, Jesus knew that these disciples didn't understand everything he was talking about. They were wondering about it. But he anticipates the day when they will understand everything he's talking about. And he says, in that day, you will ask in my name, And I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you. You can go directly. In that day, you'll understand. You don't understand now. In that day, you'll understand. He anticipates the day when they'll get it. Do you realize that the disciples would understand more then 
after the resurrection of Christ, when they're filled with the Spirit, than they did even while He was physically in their presence. And so He anticipates that they will pray intelligently in that day. They'll get it. Here's the principle. Prayer must never become a mindless activity. We should always pray intelligently. Some people think, well, I'll just repeat the phrase over and over. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. No, pray intelligently. You wouldn't sit down and write a letter without some kind of cohesion to it. You wouldn't write a a meaningless letter. You wouldn't talk to somebody on the phone and just babble everything you see in your eye. I'm looking out the window now. Grass is green, trees, birds just flew by. Cool. Oh, uh, here's a cup of coffee. You wouldn't talk like that. You would think through. It would be meaningful conversation. Don't pray in autopilot where your mind is on hold and your mouth is on automatic and it's like turning on the hose and letting it run. This is what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Now, why did he say that? He said that because religion at his time, and in that time it was Judaism, had degenerated to such a low level in their prayer lives. Well, let me describe it to you. At that time, prayer was pretty formalized. There was no spontaneous expression. Prayers were either memorized or read. It was sort of like, now I lay me down to sleep on steroids. There was the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Jewish declaration of faith uttered in prayer. But so many would pray that just droning the words without real meaning and others like it. It became formalized. Also, there were prescribed prayers. Now get this. Prayers had been written and sometimes memorized for just about every occasion. When you light a fire, you say a special prayer. If there's lightning outside, like there was at about, I don't know, two in the morning last night if you were awake, uh, you'd say a special prayer. When it rains, you say a special prayer. If you see the ocean You say a special prayer, usually hallelujah. (laughs) If you see a lake or a river, you say a special prayer. If you enter a city or you leave a city, there were prescribed prayers for all of those events. Sounds good. Sounds like you're trying to bring all of life under the purview of prayer. But again, it had become something you just spout off. Prescribed prayers. Also, at that time... Um, There were set times of the day that you should pray. Nine in the morning, twelve noon, three in the afternoon. And prescribed places. Oh yeah, you can pray anywhere. But the best place to pray is the synagogue. And the best place to pray is the temple. Even still, when you go to Israel today, the tour guides, tongue-in-cheek, though somewhat meaning it, they'll tell you this. Hey, when you're in Jerusalem, make sure you pray. Go down to the Western Wall and pray. Because though you can pray anywhere in the world and God will hear it, here it's a local call. They like to say that. It's a local call. You know, because this is the place God decided to hang out. So here, it's a local call. Let me tell you something. Since Jesus died and rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit is living within you wherever you pray, it's a local call. 
But they had these prescribed times and places. Also, it was believed that when you pray, the more flowery the prayer and the longer the prayer, the better. So they would try to impress each other in their public expressions, adding adjective after adjective before the name of God. One recorded prayer I found lists 16 adjectives before God is even mentioned. So something like, Oh, wonderful, gracious, merciful, sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, loving, and Lord. There was a preacher who used to pray like that. He'd pray long, flowery prayers, using words that most people never really understood. And this happened week after week after week. And there was one wee Scottish lady in that church who was in the choir who got so tired of this. And if you know the Scots, they, they just like to be up front and speak their mind. So this pastor begins to pray this long prayer. And she grabs his robe, tugs at it, and says, Just call him Father and ask him for something. <laughs> I would say amen to that prayer. If she prayed it, just ask him for something. Jesus says that here. Ask, think about it, pray intelligently. Prayer should be as natural as talking to someone. Jesus gave us the model. When you pray, say, our father who, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He gave us the pattern of prayer, but it was done in a natural manner. Be confident. Be intelligent. Here's the third. Be compliant. Be compliant. When you talk to God, talk to God God's way. Would you agree with this? That the prayer that God accepts is the prayer that God directs. If Jesus says, boys, here's how to do it. And for them to go, no, nah, I don't really want to do it that way. I got my own way. No, be compliant. Let me explain that. I want, to, I want to unpack that thought. If you go with me to verse 27, you'll get a hint. He says, For the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved me, notice that, and have believed that I came forth from God. Notice that. He is assuming that those who talk to God will be in right relationship with God, and that right relationship means they love Jesus and they believe He is who He said He is. Furthermore, in the next verse, he explains, I came forth from the Father. I've come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Boy, there's a lot in that verse. First of all, he said, I came forth from the Father. It, must, it means you believe in his incarnation, that he came from heaven to the earth, the virgin birth at Bethlehem. He wasn't just born. He came forth from the Father. It implies that when you pray, you believe that, that he was incarnate as the Son of God. Notice also, and have come into the world. It implies you believe in His humiliation. He came among sinful men and women and suffered the death of the cross. And then finally, He says, I leave the world and go to the Father. That implies you believe His resurrection, His ascension into heaven, and His eventual exaltation. So these disciples believed all of that about Jesus, and they'll really believe it later on, and that's the basis of their approach. So let me boil it down. 
The first real condition for prayer, and this precedes all the others, this is the first real condition, is that you are a believer. You're a child of God. Yeah, anybody can spout off words to God, but I can talk to a wall and I won't get any results. A lot of people say, I pray, but the first prerequisite, since prayer is a family privilege, is that they are a child of God. I found it interesting that Donald Gray Barnhouse, who used to pastor the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, would often close the church services by praying, Lord, dismiss us with your peace, except for those who don't know you. And then he would pause and he would say, keep them miserable until they come to know the Prince of Peace. Can you imagine? That's got to be one of the coolest prayers ever, especially for a pastor. Keep them miserable until they come to know the Prince of Peace. That's the first prerequisite. You are compliant. You come to Him believing that about His Son. Not only compliant in your relationship, but compliant in your approach. I'm only going to touch on the next little thought here because we dealt with it in chapter 14. But three times in this section, Jesus talks about approaching the Father in My name, he says. Him speaking, in my name. Approach the Father in my name. Ask in my name. Do this in my name. And that's why we pray. And we say at the end of our prayers, we're praying this in Jesus' name. Please don't see that as a magical thing to tack at the end of your prayer. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. In Jesus' name. That's where the magic happens. That's the abracadabra phrase. All I got to do is tack that on. Or some people think it means, I'm done now. I pray this in Jesus' name, over and out. I'm hanging up now. It's not what it means at all. Neither of those. To pray in Jesus' name simply means, I pray based on His merit, what He has done. I'm coming to you, Father, on the merit, the work, in the name of Jesus Christ, who paid for my sins on the cross. That that gives me access. He gives me the access. We don't pray to the Father in Buddha's name, Muhammad's name, Moses' name, or Mary's name, but in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus, because he's the one who did the work. It means something more than that. Not only that I pray based on his merit, but I, I am praying according to his objective. If I bring you a message in somebody's name, it's as if I'm representing that person to you. To pray in Jesus' name is say, Lord, I'm praying this because I'm pretty confident this is something Jesus himself would want. Now, don't you agree? If you're asking the Father for something that you're reasonably sure Jesus would want, you're going to have a whole lot of confidence when you pray that prayer. If you're thinking, I don't know if Jesus would want this or not. I mean, I've I've asked for a brand new Hummer, supercharged. I don't know if that's exactly what Jesus wants for my life, but it'd be really cool. You're not going to have as much confidence. To pray in His name is to pray with His objective. Now, do we always know what Jesus wants when we pray? No, we don't. That's where we leave it with God. But I will say this, the more you know the Bible you're going to get a better idea of what God wants and what His will is and what His mind is, what He likes, loves, doesn't like, doesn't love. So you're going to approach God differently. 
I read something I want to read to you this morning. One of the best books ever I would recommend for a Christian is called The Fight by John White. And he has a little section on prayer. And he speaks about this little phrase that Jesus tells his disciples to pray to the Father in my name. This is what he says. Jesus gave his followers authority to draw checks on the power bank of heaven. Clearly, however, the checks may only be drawn when the purpose of the check conforms with heavenly policy. That's the idea. It is only when I am acting as Christ's agent that I may pray in Jesus' name. So be confident. Be intelligent. Be compliant. Here's the fourth dynamic. Be expectant. Be expectant. I prayed in the name of Jesus. And because I prayed that, I live in expectation now. I had a conversation with um, Dr. Tony Evans. He's a preacher down in Texas. And this was a couple years ago. And he said that he was asked to pray at a public event in Dallas. They wanted the local preacher to open up the event in prayer. He said, I'd love to do it. He was all prepared. Well, when he got to the event, they said, Dr. Evans, we want you to pray, but we don't want you to use the name of Jesus in your prayer. There's a lot of people here, a lot of different belief systems. We don't want to offend anybody, so just pray generically, but don't pray in Jesus' name. And he says, well, then I won't pray. He goes, let me ask you something. Do you want this prayer to work? Or do you want somebody just mouthing things off because you want a God presence here? Because if you want this name to work, and you want this prayer to work, then you want a child of God who's in right relationship to God by faith, who will pray in the name of Jesus, and things will get done. Otherwise, you don't want me to pray. So here's a man who would say that because he would pray in expectation. And so Jesus says in verse 23, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. That's the promise. That's the expectation. Again, verse 24, Until now you have asked me nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Let me tell you about a little story. You can chase it down later on. It's in Acts chapter 12. Here's the dynamic. Peter's been arrested. He's in jail. The church gathers together in the house of John Mark's mother to pray for Peter. So a bunch of Christians praying to get Peter out of jail. You know what happens? Peter gets out of jail. An angel comes, springs him out of jail. The shackles fall from his hands. Peter goes through all the prison gates, goes to the house where they're having their prayer meeting and knocks on the door. A little girl named Rhoda answers the door. She sees Peter there, and instead of opening the door, she runs back. Kids do this. They run back in the house and say, Peter's at the door. And this is what they say to him. Listen to their faith. They've been praying, God, bring him out of jail, please. They go, you're out of your mind. (laughs) I don't know what you call that. I really wouldn't call it prayer. There wasn't much expectation there. It's like saying, I pray for rain every day. Really? Do you carry an umbrella? Do you have expectation that anything's going to happen? So they're praying for Peter. Peter gets out. Peter comes in the house finally. And they still had a hard time believing that it was Peter. Here's God answering their prayer. And they have a difficult time believing that God answered the thing they asked for. 
So be expectant. Jesus said, ask, it will be done. Do it in my name. Come directly, come boldly. Do it with the agenda that I would come to the Father with. And it will be done. And then finally, in verse 24, that your joy may be full. Let's tie the bow on the package. Last week, we saw that Jesus said, your sorrow will be turned into joy. One of the ways sorrow gets turned into joy is by a healthy prayer life. You say, well, how does, how does prayer make me happy, preacher? Easy. Number one, when God answers your prayer, you see that God is at work. Your joy increases. But number two, when you realize what we're talking about here is a higher level of life where you realize I'm connected directly to God. I don't have to go through a saint. I don't have to go through a special person. I don't need an earthly ambassador. I am speaking these words. They're in the ears of the Father directly. I have made an instant contact between heaven and earth. And i got to tell you something. When you realize that and you practice that, life is lived at a higher level. If you ever go to New York City, I want you to go to Rockefeller Center. You probably would anyway. Um, Over by Rockefeller Center, there's this great statue of Atlas. It's enormous. I don't know, 30 feet tall. He's buff, right? And he's sort of crouched down, muscles, lower legs and upper body. And he's holding the world on his shoulders. Just strong, buff, holding the, like this. But it's, you know, he's pushing it up. But he's doing it. It's, it's, It's impressive. But on the other side of the street is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And at St. Patrick's Cathedral is a motif of Jesus holding the world in one hand. (laughs) I love the comparison. And here's my question. What side of the street do you want to live your life on? You want to live it over here going, I'm holding the world up. It's tough. Okay. Have fun. See ya. Have a good life. Or do you want to live over here where you realize God made the world, he made me, and he's capable of holding my world in his hands? Uh, You know, when you live over on this side of the street, you're living life like this. When you live over here, it's like. I don't want to sound simplistic. I don't want you to think you just. Spout off a few prayers every day and you'll just smile your way through life. You just, you know, everything's good all the time. I'm a Christian. I'm not an idiot. Here's Jesus saying, your sorrow will be turned into joy, implying that you have to have sorrow for it to get converted into joy. That's part of life. But I want to close with something that was said years ago. John Bunyan wrote it. He said, you can always do more than pray after you've prayed. But you can never do more than pray until you've prayed. Please don't, after this day, see prayer as a last resort. I hear it all the time. There's nothing left to do except pray. Oh, goodness. That's where you begin. You're never more powerful than when you're on your knees in prayer. Father, it's because we believe that, that we're talking to you right now in this open and free manner. Thank you. Thank you for the gift 
of the open channel. Thank you for the gift of the phone line, the direct access to heaven. And we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking you that our lives would be lived at a whole different level, a higher level. You're inviting us, you're compelling us, you're calling us. I think of the words of that song. They keep bouncing off the walls of my brain. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, save us from the Atlas Syndrome. From trying to balance our world, our struggles on our own shoulders. Yeah, we have to live life. We have to be engaged in life. We have to make decisions. Life isn't hard. We don't always know the answers. But when we realize that there's another way to live, where you can hold our world firmly in your hands, and we live believing that, and we talk to you as if that is a present reality, we live differently. Cause that to happen. Develop that in us. We pray that with all confidence. We know it's in the name of Jesus, and so we do. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.